Hello, and welcome to the Life Teacher Podcast. My name is Hector Suko, and today we are talking about marriage with Tim Kellis. The title of this episode is The Marriage Solution with Tim Kellis. Tim Kellis is a renowned Wall Street analyst and takes on what could be considered society's biggest problem today, divorce. The journey that led to him tackling such a significant issue was both personal and professional. After a successful career that eventually landed him on Wall Street, Tim met what he thought was the girl of his dreams, only to see that relationships end with bitterness and anger. The journey included work with a marital therapist, and after he discovered the therapist wasn't really helping, he decided to tackle the issue himself. He is here to teach couples how to create a lifelong marriage. Tim, welcome to the podcast. Hector, thank you very much. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come and speak. So looking forward to today. Today's going to be fun. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I know I said a lot in the introduction, but I want people to hear it from you. Can you tell people a little bit more about you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, just to, just to elaborate on what you said. In fact, I'm not a psychologist, and that turns out to be important. I have an engineering degree, and as you mentioned, I landed on Wall Street, where I was the first semiconductor analyst on Wall Street to focus on communications market. Oh, and, and the, other, the other part of my background as well, when, when I was 12 years old, I told my mom I wanted to be a Catholic priest when I was 12 years old, and, and then I discovered girls. That career path kind of got derailed. But the point is, is at the height of the market in 2000, working on Wall Street, I met this girl, as you mentioned, and she's actually a girl that I had known for about eight years, but she always had a boyfriend. I always had a girlfriend, but we got together um, without any relationships. And as anybody who's ever fallen in love knows, it happened very quickly. We got together, fell in love. We're going to spend the rest of our lives together. But then we started fighting. And, you know, I'm an engineer. I'm always I'm always thinking about solving problems. This is how engineers are trained to do. So to me, when I'm in this conflict in our relationship, my whole mindset was trying to solve it. But then we went to the therapist. And as you mentioned in the intro, when the therapist wasn't helping, it was the pain of this relationship ending. And anybody who's ever gone through that knows exactly what I'm talking about. And it's unbelievable, particularly when you understand marriages like I do now, that there's not a message out there yet that couples can learn where they at the end of learning will realize that they're on the path to staying together for the rest of their life. And that has been my journey. I spent nearly two years researching and writing my book, which was 20 years ago. I've been working. This is, this is a, in fact, my mission is to lower the divorce rate. That is my journey. And it's because of the pain of this relationship not working out that has motivated me to take it on this subject. So that's kind of a real, you know, my dad was a cab driver. I grew up poor. Uh, you know, I don't come from anything, but, uh, you know, I realized that my mission is to finally teach couples how to create lifelong marriages. Can you tell me exactly what happened in those therapy sessions? Because we, we tend to think that, oh, if you just go to therapy, everything will work itself out. And you are living proof that that may not always be the answer. Can you tell me why you think the therapist was either wrong or just wasn't getting the point? And, and in fact, I have to be careful answering because it sounds like I'm being critical. But the, the reason, the answer to your question, Hector, is that this, and now the, the reason why I introduced my, my, Simic, my Wall Street analyst background is that's what I did when I did the research is I, I got my head around the psychology industry. Uh, and let's just say it's a very interesting industry and I'm not saying that as a compliment. The industry is still based on Freud's biology theory. And Freud's biology theory in essence states that we are animals, that we're not capable of thinking, uh, that we can't change our mind. The mind is not included in the conversation uh, in the psychology industry. In fact, one of the things I realized that I'm doing is I'm discussing marriages mentally and psychologically, and that's never happened before. And so that's why you get behavioral advice. The only reason why I can comfortably and confidently tell anybody that I have solved the marriage problem is because I forgave my parents when I was 25 years old. It turns out the biggest influence in a relationship is the relationship with the parents because that's where you learn first learn about love exactly this is this is not included in the psychology industry yet the source of mental problems the biology theory basically states that we're born with our mental problems 
they're medically based, which is why we get drugs now whenever we have mental problems. And this is also why we get behavioral advice. And the, the, the psychologist, in, so the, the answer to your question is what that is basically, I will say regressed back to is the how does it make you feel question. It's referred to in the psychology industry as cognitive behavioral therapy, but that's just a fancy way of saying, how does it make you feel? So when you're in discussing problems with the psychologist, instead of them trying to find the source of the problem, instead of them addressing it logically, they address it emotionally with the how does it make you feel question. I actually have a train, all I was trying to do, because again, I had gone through that healing process of forgiveness. All I was trying to do was to get this therapist to understand, go back, find the root cause of the problem, go through the healing process like I went through, and that would open up the eyes of the relationship to objectivity, which is what I do. He refused. In fact, in the, I have a transcript of the last therapy session where he asked me six times, six times, how does it make you feel? when I was trying to get him to go and discover the root causes of the problem. He absolutely refused. And that is a foundation of the industry today. In fact, I was on Facebook today talking to a girl. She's, she's going to a therapist, first counselor session, the therapist rec recommends date night. And I'm like, that does not get to the root source of the problem. You're still gonna fight. What I do, the reason why relationships are successful is because couples get along. The reason why relationships are unsuccessful is because couples, because couples don't get along. It's really conflict resolution, and they don't, they don't address that. They do not address it in the psychology world. So again, that's kind of a short summary. There's a whole long conversation. I'm actually advancing the psychology. Have you ever heard of Carl Jung, Hector? Well, not necessarily Carl Jung, but I was going to bring Sigmund Freud into the conversation because he had a disposition that there was a connection between you and your parents, that there's this attraction that you have. And based on what you're telling me, there seems to be some sort of connection between the relationship that you have with your parents and who you eventually will either fall in love with or be in a relationship with. That's actually an extremely poignant question, Hector. And it's important to understand that what Freud did, it's called the Oedipus complex. What Freud did was he said that the connection between us and our parents is sexually based. Okay, I don't know about you, but I, I find it humorous that my mom would think that I, that, that I would wanna have sex with my mom. It is actually not true. This is what Freud concluded. It's the Oedipus complex. It's all sexuality. Freud's theory is biologically based, which is based on the sexuality theory. We have a connection with our parents, but it's a, it's, a, it's a psychological connection. It's not a sexual connection. Love is a psychological concept. Sex is a biological concept. There's a big difference between the two. Right. I, I'm not stipulating that Freud was right in the sexual nature that one has with their parents. I'm just trying to connect the dots right. into the psychologist you mentioned. And that's, what, that's, that's what I'm doing. That, what I'm doing is I'm connecting the dots, advancing the concept from it being biologically based, which is what Freud is saying, to psychologically based. This is why Carl Jung actually, for people that don't know who Carl Jung is, Carl Jung was 19 years younger than Freud. Freud looked up to Jung so much that he not only considered him his heir apparent, but also his son. And let's just say Jung disagreed with Freud's sexuality theory. They had their famous breakup in 1912, and Jung went much further than Freud did in figuring out how the mind works. There's actually no mental component to Freud's concepts. They're all biologically based, which is, again, why we drug people. Whenever You have, you have to understand, Hector, whenever you hear any professional, any licensed psychologist or licensed psychiatrist mention the brain, mention neuron, synapse, dopamine, serotonin, concepts that we are now in the public very familiar with, what they're doing is they're propagating the biology theory, which is that our mind is nothing but a reaction to brain states. That is the foundation of the psychology industry. It's not true, but it's actually the foundation of the industry today. That's what I'm explaining to you. 
Okay, so we've been talking around the issue. Let's go ahead and touch upon the theme of this episode, which is you have solved the marriage problem. Now, I know that you've talked a few points, but go ahead, do a deep dive and tell us how, how do we fix the marriage problem? And so let me just jump to the, to the, the, the end of the, my conversation and, and summarize the question that you just asked. So again, as I mentioned earlier, it's conflict resolution. I have a whole conversation about disagreements. They're logical, they're problem solving, uh, they're forward looking. You and I become business partners. I'm the accountant. Do you want to buy a $5,000 computer? We can't afford it. That is a conflict. So you and I as business partners handle it logically. You would understand my side. I would understand your side. But the difference in emotional loving relationships is the emotional component. That's where those conflicts can then turn into arguments. And this is where I break down. This is one of my big breakthroughs. And this finally introduces psychology into the marriage conversation. And so the issue is... Arguments are fault-finding, arguments are emotional, arguments are backward-looking, okay? When you argue with a person who has abandoned the use of reason, that is like administering medicine to the dead. Once you get past logic, this is why the psychology, how does it make you feel question doesn't work. Once you get past logic and you're in an emotional state, you are at a point where you cannot solve the problem. And so what, what I do is I break down arguments into their component parts. It turns out there is a process that we go through that leads to an argument. It begins with an insecurity, which is defined as a fear and anxiety. So say your parents got divorced. Now you have a fear about marriage in your marriage because of the lesson you learned as a child from your parents' divorce. That fear is what leads to a prejudice. That insecurity is what leads to prejudice. This is one of the things that I've discovered that, that's a first, and that is that our mental problems are prejudices. Okay, you now have this fear of divorce in your marriage because of what your parents taught you. That fear leads to a, what I call a relationship prejudice, which is a preconceived opinion that's emotionally based, that's not been thought out, which then leads to you becoming judgmental, which then leads to anger. And so the, to, to summarize what I just explained to you, Hector, is what I do is I connect the dots between fear and anger. So let's use a real life example, okay? Say you come home late from work and your partner gets mad at you, okay? Think about the mental process that you would go through. In fact, the caveat of the conversation is that you weren't out drinking with your buddies. You weren't out doing something you weren't supposed to be, but you did get that call at 5 p.m. It lasted an hour. You forgot to call your spouse on the way home. Because the question that I worked on for years was when you're not really doing anything wrong, coming home late from work is, I mean, if you're not doing anything wrong, you're late from work, but you still get in trouble. How do you solve that problem? And so the point is, is when you come home late from work and your partner gets mad at you, what is the natural instinct? It's fight or flight, right? Well, let, let's let's stop right there and, and let's okay. deep dive into this example. Why was this person late? Was it traffic they, in your they, example? Well, or? they got a phone call at five o'clock and it took them an hour to finish the phone call. They just forgot to call their spouse on the way home. Okay. And at any point did the spouse contact the other spouse, let's just say husband and wife, husband is at work. He's supposed to leave work at five. He doesn't, he gets a, an important business phone call and he's now on in this conversation until six o'clock does not interrupt the business person and says, uh, I need to tell my wife that I'm going to be late. He kind of just forgets. He gets he into the, he gets he into this mindset. I need to talk right. to this person. Right. Okay. Now I know that we're going through, I know that I'm picking at some things here, but does the wife at any point text or try to even call her husband and say, Hey, I see, um, are, no. are you on your way? Yeah, no, no, she doesn't. So okay. the point is, is you get home and you're, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I pressed the wrong button. Uh, no, just continue. Okay. So no, no, you get home late from work and your wife gets mad at you. This is, this is the dialogue. Okay. And so the point is, is what is the natural instinct? When you get attacked, it's fight or flight. You're either going to respond in kind, right? You're going to maybe yell back, 
or you're going to just completely ignore the conversation, which is what eventually happens to a lot of people. For one thing, it's a big deal with guys because guys are not as good discussing emotions. And so it's a lot easier for us to say, screw it. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm just going to ignore her. Right. And but then the, the other, the third option is to be completely honest. You know, honey, I took well, a that's how it five. starts. I forgot to contact right. you. I, I apologize. That's how it starts. The, the, the beginning of the conversation is he's logical, but she's angry. So she's going to continue to, and you know, you're admitting, yeah, but she's going to get angry. In fact, to be honest with you, what you just said is what you're supposed to do is I'm, a lot of people can't admit they made mistakes. That is, that is what a mature person does. That is one of the things we learn. But let me get to the point, because then you understand where this is going. She's not mad at you because you came home late from work. She's mad at you because she has low self-esteem issues. She has abandonment issues. She had maybe mom and dad got divorced when she was younger. This is the point I'm getting at. She is angry because of a fear from her past, mainly from her childhood and her relationship with her parents happening in her marriage. Again, it's not the coming home late from work. That is a particular issue. But what it's doing is it's striking a fear within her that she is now projecting onto her husband. That's a big leap. How did you come to that conclusion? Fear leads to an insecurity, which leads to a prejudice, which leads to being judgmental, which leads to being angry. So when she gets angry, the reason why she's angry is because of a fear that's motivating the anger. The fear is what we are addressing, not the anger. This is the problem with therapists uh, focusing on behaviors is they're only focusing on what's going on today. They're only focusing on the fact that you came home late from work and your wife's mad at you. How does it make you feel? Uh, how does how do you, to the wife, honey, sweetheart, how does it make you feel that you're mad at your husband? Well, it makes me feel, I feel this way, I'm angry, he's not listening, he doesn't respect me. These are the dialogues that take place in therapy. In therapy, but what therapists aren't doing is they're not going, why are you afraid? Because it's focused now on what the husband did wrong in his behavior as opposed to trying to find out why she got angry at him because of his behavior. And I'm trying to be, yeah, I'm trying to be a little bit more realistic and try to connect more dots. If, If your husband is not coming home, do then is the wife correct in assuming he may be cheating on me and that's why he's coming home late? That's the point. That is where the fear. You're addressing the, he may be cheating on me, which he's not, but she may be afraid of that. And the reason why she's afraid of that is because of something from her past. He's not cheated on her. He loves her. They're married. They're spending the rest of their lives together. They're in a loving marriage. Infidelity, keep in mind, that infidelity is not the cause of problems in relationships. Infidelity is the result of problems. You see, that I agree with you. I do agree that infidelity is not the problem. It's the result of the problem. In my belief, you are correct. I think there is something there. I really do think that you've touched upon something important. Oh, he's not home yet. He must be cheating on me. So why do you think that he could be cheating on you? Right. Uh, you know, do you have experiences with this? Now, there's also this point where we know that cheating is all over the media, right? Jerry Springer, uh, Maury, in movies and TV shows, people cheat on each other every single time. So could it be, oh, I'm aware that cheating happens. So it's possible that he may be cheating on me. Or do you honestly think that there is something in her past that is causing this fear? Well, that's the point. It's something in her past that is causing the fear. At the beginning, the relationship is great. Remember, we're talking about couples that have fallen in love. They decide they're going to spend the rest of their life together. They're committed to each other. And we're trying to figure out what path that that relationship then takes that leads to divorce. This is what I'm defining. It's a development that takes place. But at the beginning, everything's great. What we got to do is we got to keep couples on that path. This is what we're teaching. And, and, and the reality is, number one, is what you are afraid of happening in your marriage happens. And number two is that fear and love cannot coexist 
in the same room. What's important to understand, Hector, is what love is. Love is vulnerability. Vulnerability is the fear of getting hurt. When you fall in love with somebody, you climb over that wall to open yourself up to another human being. At the beginning, the psychology industry calls it the false facade. You're putting your best foot forward as you should, but what all couples need to learn is how to be able to expose, be vulnerable, those aspects of their past that they may not be so comfortable to talk about, knowing that their partner is not going to judge them. In order to do that, you have to create a judgment-free zone within the marriage so that people can freely talk about their past, knowing that their partner is not going to think less of them. That is where the conversation goes. And when you learn that skill, that's when couples learn to grow together. And that is what I'm teaching. How, do, how can couples learn to grow together? And the way they do that, maturity is a process. The first step in the maturity process is which I'm describing. This is one of my big contributions to the concept of psychology is the letting go of your childhood through forgiveness, which is not in the dialogue today in the psychology industry. It turns out we are supposed to be born twice. The first is obvious biologically, but the second is when we are supposed to be born psychologically into adulthood. The bar mitzvah and the bat mitzvah in the Jewish tradition, the first communion in the Christian tradition, the quinceanera in the Latino tradition. I know you're in the area with a bunch of Latinos. Even barbaric rituals in antiquity were all initiation ceremonies to initiate us into adulthood. Unfortunately, in today's modern world, and I do point a big finger towards the psychology industry because that's what they are supposed to be doing. They have dropped the ball in teaching us this. This is what I am doing in teaching the first step of the maturity process, which has not been taught to us yet, because you have to do the first step before you do the other steps, discovering who you are, getting a balanced ego, figuring out all of the things, patience, uh, integrity, all of the, admitting you're wrong, all of these things that happen along the maturity process, which is a process that once couples understand the process, then they realize what they can learn to do together so that they do and experience that maturing process together as a partnership. That's what I'm doing. Now, let's go with that same example. Wife gets upset, you're late, and let's say they try your strategy. But it just so happens that no one in her family ever cheated on anyone. So what would the process look like? How can the husband even start that process? You know, she, he can empathize with her. Like, I, I feel that you may have gone through something in the past that you are not honest. You're not being honest with yourself about. Like, how does one even start to unpack their possible, their spouse's possible fear that have le that has led to that particular argument. Well, it was so interesting about your, your your question. This is this is one thing when you think about just the development of the psychology industry in particular. In 1900, five percent of the population graduated from high school. In 1900, I have a graduate degree. We are so much more consciously aware, so much more educated today than we've been in the history of human civilization. And so the point I'm making is we know, we are unconsciously, but slightly consciously aware, she didn't get mad for no reason. She did not get angry for no reason. What he did was he triggered the nerve in her, the fear in her. She would be aware if they knew that that was what they were supposed to talk about because she would know why she was afraid. She thinks it to herself. I'm afraid of this. She doesn't, you know, verbalize it to him. It's not something that because most arguments think, think about this, Hector. Hector, you're a jerk. Now, for me to call you a jerk, I am in an unconscious state. I am not being logical. I'm not explaining you and I are not going back and forth. We're not having a logical dialogue. I just went from logical to emotional and I am unaware of why I'm calling you a jerk. That is an unconscious. When people are in that anger mode, they are most marriages because they're reactionary or unconscious experience. People are not aware why they are doing what they are doing. This is one of the things that I'm getting them clear on. The goal 
in a relationship is to make conscious what is unconscious or else it appears as fate. And this is the whole point. If you're afraid of something happening in your relationship, it happens unless you make it conscious, unless you make it aware so that you can then discuss it and then you heal together. Forgiveness is a process. I have a whole forgiveness conversation. In fact, I discuss forgiveness like four or five different times in my book from four or five different angles to impress upon them the significance of what happens when you go through the forgiveness process. But that is where you start the healing process. That's when you realize that the conflict that started when he came home late from work is actually the starting point of a very meaningful psychological conversation that the two of them can have together so that they can understand what was her past experience that, that, that was the source of the fear that letting her to being insecure and then ultimately angry at him for coming home late from work. This is what I'm explaining to couples when I teach them. So ideally what you're saying is that in order for that episode to, to come to its full resolution, mm -hmm. you would say, husband says, honey, I got caught up with this business phone call. I forgot what to message you. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? He's got to turn well, the conversation yeah. back towards her. What are you afraid of? That right. The and she's asking her. Right. And then she says, it's okay. I forgive you. And then she may say something like, please don't let that happen again. Is that the ultimate kind of resolution no. you're looking for? No. Okay. No. Because when you do not address the source of the fear, the fear remains. Let me explain to you forgiveness. Okay. This is, this is one of my weirder conversations. I actually have a mentor of mine who is actually translating the oldest Bible in existence that was written in Aramaic. Jesus, if you don't realize it, spoke Aramaic. He did not speak English. And when you study the history of the, of the church and you study the history of the Bible, you realize that the Bible has gone through translations. Aramaic to Greek to Latin to the modern languages. That's the process that the Bible went through as it, as it developed. And one of the things that happened during the translations, I call them dilutions. And so what this guy has discovered is that when the Greeks translated forgiveness, they translated it to mean to pardon. So that when I forgive you, you do something that I perceive as wrong, and I forgive you when I pardon you. The problem is the anxiety that was created when you, when you, when you did something I perceived as wrong does not go away. What Jesus literally said in Aramaic, was that forgiveness means to cancel. Until that girl, can, until the wife cancels the source of her fear, until she eliminates the anxiety caused by the fear from her past, it will still influence her in the present. So she, in, uh, it will happen again next time he comes, she, or next time he does something else. Again, it's not him coming home late for work. That is not the issue. The issue is the fear that caused her to get angry. Because next thing she'll get angry at him for not cleaning out the dishwasher, or she'll get angry at him for whatever. She, her anger, it will not go away, just because he was able to get her out of that emotional state when he asked her, "How did? What are you afraid of?" Which is what happens. I, I cannot tell you how many people I've taught that question to. That when they come home and their spouse gets angry, their spouse is in an emotional state, and once they ask them, "What are you afraid of?" It it takes them back to the logic. What do you mean, what am I afraid of? And it gets them back to thinking about what is the problem that is going on now. And now they can have a meaningful discussion about the source of the problem. You have to address the source of the anxiety. And until you eliminate the anxiety through forgiveness, it's going to continue to motivate you in your current life. This is what I'm talking about. Now, we have been talking a lot about this hypothetical in which the woman is upset, but I don't, I want to make it clear to the audience that's, that we're not feeding into a stereotype. So it's to gender counter neutral, our conversation are very gender neutral. Exactly. Okay. So to counterbalance that, can we come up with some sort of an example in which the husband gets upset? But that's why, if you look back at my conversation, I didn't 
put a gender on it. I, the okay. man could be home, the wife could be coming home late from work, and the wife could, or the man could get mad okay. at the wife for coming home. The husband's right. angry, the wife, if she is, you know, grounded and she can neutralize the fight or flight, which is the natural instinct, if she's able to stay balanced and she's able to keep the conversation on a, lo a logical, calm basis, then she could turn around and ask the same question. Sweetheart, you know, I love you. I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I got to call it five. I'm not, you know, that's the most amazing thing about arguments is the assumption that the person thought ahead of time to do it to begin with to upset their partner. Nobody tries, at least at the beginning, to upset their partner, but they still get in trouble. This is the question that I worked for years to try and answer. And that's the what are you afraid of question. That question is extremely powerful because it brings the conversation back to logical. Not only that, you know what you're trying to achieve in the conversation, which is what is the source of the fear. Okay, so let me sh uh, give you another example. Wife says, honey, please do the dishes. And the husband says, okay, I will. And then she goes out in the middle of her shopping or whatever. She texts him, please do the dishes. He texts back, I will. She gets home. The dishes are not done. And right. she starts an argument. What right. could, at, at a certain point, it's really the, the spouse that didn't do what he said he was going to do. And I do believe that he bears the fault here. And she, I guess, starts the argument. What, is there a fear there? Is, is every single little argument uh, has a fear behind it? Well, first of all, <laughs> what you're talking about is sort of the state of the relationship today. Remember, the goal of the relationship is a partnership. And a partnership that both have an equal say. And when you're because it's not the clean, it's not doing the dishes. It's how the question was asked. Is it something that they both are talking about? They're both because what you're describing, the way that you described it, is somebody that gets told what to do and is ignoring her anyhow and is not listening to what she's saying. That is what happens when the relationship is down the wrong path. But what I'm talking about is we're both because one of the most amazing things I understand it psychologically but I don't understand it from a common sense perspective is when one spouse does not support the other spouse. It happens all of the time. And that's because of the fear that's keeping one spouse from being able to help the other spouse. Because again, and I'll be short on this, we can elaborate on further, but one of the biggest things that I teach, this is a very important piece of the puzzle, is you have to understand things from your partner's perspective. If you're not taking your partner's perspective into consideration, you're not going to come up with something that is amenable to both of you. And I could, I could discuss the scenario you just described to me from both sides, from the husband that just ignores the wife, doesn't think about it from her side, to the wife that's telling the husband what to do instead of asking the husband to do something as a partner would do. I mean, you could look at the scenario from both sides to try and figure out what took place that, that, that caused this conflict. Because again, it has nothing to do with him doing the dishes. It has to do with the way they address each other. It has to do whether, you know, he's comfortable in his skin, she's comfortable in her skin. They're working together as a partnership. Because when you're in a loving relationship, you're gonna want to help your partner out. But when you're not, you're in that where I'd rather watch football than help my, my wife because she's doing the, the groceries and I'm, instead of uh, doing the dishes to help her out, I'd rather sit on the couch and watch football that's when the relationship is heading in the wrong direction, where the two are moving in different directions. And so it's important to understand, that's what I'm talking about. When you look and psychologically think about and discuss when there's conflict, you can figure out from both sides because you have to understand both perspectives in order to be able to come with really what is the issue. Is it him sitting on his butt or is her telling him what to do? You don't know that until you find out the details of what's going on. But more than likely, it's a combination of both of them anyhow. Well, in my specific example, the husband did confirm that he was going to do it and failed right. to do so. Exactly. Again, I, I think that the husband bears most of the responsibilities, you, but you I get what you're saying, that you're saying the wife now feels or fears being ignored 
And maybe she was ignored at some point in her life. Maybe she told her parents something. They right. ignored her. So or the husband. Or the husband. I and mean, again, I'm trying to keep this gender neutral. The husband could have some fear of, of his wife trying to control him. And when she's telling him what to do, his whole mindset's going, she's trying to control me again. Even though she's telling him, I'll go do the dishes. Inside of his mind, she's like, he's like, I'm not going to have her tell me what to do. You don't. That's what I mean. You don't understand what the source of the problem is. So the best advice you're giving is do a deep dive into yourself to see how you can make this relationship work, but it goes both ways. You have to do it and your spouse has to do it. Of course. That's what I teach. Exactly. And because what you're doing, think about this, Hector, an argument is I'm right and you are wrong. No, I'm right and you are wrong. That is an argument. And all I'm doing is I'm getting people instead of looking at it all from their partner's perspective as being wrong. I'm trying to get them to understand their partner's perspective, but they have to open their eyes to understand what their partner's doing from a, from a let's solve the problem's perspective, not from finding fault. That is a nuance that's very significant when they understand the difference of the nuance. And the difference in the nuance is in, in the scenario where they're trying to solve it, they're also looking at themselves and what part that they played in, in, the, in the conflict. Do you think it's possible for a marriage never to have an argument? I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that they need to learn how to have them as disagreements. Ultimately, yes. Ultimately, the goal is to have no arguments. There's going to be conflict. In fact, Martin Luther King called it civil disobedience. You can disagree until the cows come home as long as you're civil about it. And that's what you need to learn as a couple. If you're civil in your conflicts, you're going to be able to solve them. But to, to argue with a person who has abandoned the use of reason is like administering medicine to the dead. Once you get that at an emotional state, uh, an argument is a control mechanism. That's all it is. So your goal for couples is no arguments, but have disagreements and have healthy conflicts. Exactly. Exactly. That's the point. So let me postulate this question to you. Let's say there is a couple that does not argue. They disagree. They find their resolutions. And let's say a year goes by. Do you think it's healthy for a, a couple to say, you know what? Let's have a marriage checkup, quote unquote. Let's talk it out. Let's have a communication. Let's talk one-on-one, let's say once a year. I, I truly believe that because if you as a you as a person need a physical checkup every year with your doctor, I think that a marriage in order to sustain itself needs to have a checkup. What do you think? Absolutely agree, 100%. Again, because the point is to make conscious what is unconscious. And most marriages are unconscious experience. You might think that you're doing, let's just say finances, because it's an easy conversation. You might think from your perspective without communicating to your partner that you're managing finances, but for you to sit down with your partner and, and have a financial conversation is, listen, Hector, you and I, again, are business partners. Aren't we gonna sit down on a regular basis and discuss what's going on in our business? That's the way businesses are run. You're, you're building a business. You're a partner in a business. The business is love. The, 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 the details of the business is learning to grow together. These are the details, the terms and conditions, so to speak, of the entity that you guys are developing to be real pragmatic about it. But yes, if, if you're having a, 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 a pre preparation conversation, a planning conversation, how, in fact, the greatest thing about what you just described, Hector, have a conflict conversation ahead of time. Okay, so you're upset about me coming home late from work. Okay, so let's let's put that on the table for a second. Okay, I, okay, there's an issue. We'll we'll get to that. But let's step back for a second. Okay, so let's discuss how we're going to handle conflicts. How should we handle conflicts? How would you want to handle the conflict? How would you want me to handle the conflict? Imagine how productive that conversation would be in a marriage. I also believe, and my wife is has her reservations, but I also believe in the rating system. You know how we rate people based on looks, one to 10, one is ugly, 10 is very beautiful. Uh -huh. But I truly believe that when it comes to logic and relationships and marriages, in order for a couple to be healthy, to rate their relationship or rate their marriage one to 10, hey, honey, how would you rate our marriage one to 10? And based on her answer will tell you a lot of what needs work. What do you think about rating marriages one to 10? Well, it's, it's a dialogue. It's a, it's a, it's a fruitful dialogue. Cause again, I'm a, you're, you're talking to a guy who's always done well in math. I have an engineering background. I mean, I love math conversations because it's, it's, it's direct, it's pragmatic and 
you know, one plus one is always two. It's, there's, there's, you know, there's no conflict in that conversation. A five is a five and a 10 is a 10. I mean, that's, but then again, it starts the dialogue. So you think we're having a six marriage right now. So what are the things that you're, you're thinking that's the reason why it's not a 10? So the goal is to get to a 10, right? Excellent. Thank you. I believe that to my core. Hey, why did you rate our marriage a six? Let's talk about it. Let's make our relationship better. Right. Thank you, Tim. I really appreciate you saying that. And going down the list here, love languages. Now, I know that this is not, you know, this is not something that I grew up with. This is something that has spurred on the in the last few years. What have you heard about love languages? And do you think it's important to discuss these with your partner? The five love languages is actually my current example on why the psychology industry doesn't work. Okay. okay. Let, me, let me explain that. Okay. One of the things I find fascinating about the model of giving behavioral advice is there's no conversation about why they're not giving that behavior in the first place when they should be because it's of the benefit of the relationship. If Gary Chapman wanted to write a book that was actually helpful, what he would have written is a book that stated that both in the relationship should be performing all five love languages. Because if you look at those five love languages, they are all common sense things that all couples should be doing with each other. And the reason why you selected one of the five is because it's either something you didn't have in your childhood or it's something that your partner's not giving to you because the partner didn't have it in his or her childhood. If he would have written that book, then he would have introduced psychology into the conversation. But unfortunately, he doesn't teach psychological concepts, even though he's a psychologist. He's a trained psychologist. He gives behavioral advice. Behavioral advice without understanding the psychological motivation underneath the behavior is a futile, futile exercise. This is why the, this, this counselor, I just told you earlier, this girl, the therapist told her to go on date night. I'm like, that is not going to solve the problems. But that is what you get from therapy today. This is what you get from the industry today. There's no psychological component to the psychology industry today in the marriage business. This is what I'm introducing. They give behavioral advice that doesn't work, which is why you're not hearing anybody coming out saying the five love languages has changed our entire culture in our city because we've all practiced it. And now all of our marriages are fixed because it does not fix the marriage problem. And just to go back, I Googled Dr. Chapman, just like you, just like you just said, and he actually wrote the book, the five love languages in 1992, mm -hmm. almost 30 years later. And now is when I'm hearing the term love languages more often, but why do you think that is? Well, and here's the, the, the credit to Gary Chapman. Okay. And this is why when you look at the industry, development. You also have to understand that I believe Men Are From Mars was published in the same time frame. Okay. Men Are From Mars, actually, here's, here's my point, Hector. I have discovered that men and women are actually from the same planet. Okay. That book has done more damage to our culture of marriage than anything in the public domain because it's used as an excuse when couples don't get along. You have to understand the simplicity of that message. If you've ever read that book, it reads like it was written by a third grader, John Gray, the guy who wrote that book. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a concept. It's the title of the book is the reason why that book has sold. It does absolutely nothing to solve the marriage problem. It does a good job defining it. It started the genre of marriage books, which are, John and Jay Doe don't get along, followed by behavioral advice. John Gray actually has a point system in the back of his book where you get positive points for good behavior and negative points for negative behavior. That is actually the depth of men are from Mars, women are from Venus. What Gary Chapman is doing, this is showing you how little their movement is, is what he's doing is he's introducing, very simply introducing the beginning conversation of understanding your partner's perspective. That's what that book does. It does not elaborate on that. It does not explain that that's what it's doing. But what it does psychologically to the, to the audience 
is it, it finally gets the audience to look at their partner's perspective in a very simple, shallow method that still doesn't get them to go to the depth that I'm taking, my reader and my, uh, of the people that I work with when I discuss things all the way to the healing, forgiveness, source of the problem. This is one of the things that I'm introducing that's new in the psychology industry. It wasn't, Young actually discovered, you have to understand, Hector, Young cured schizophrenia. He cured people diagnosed with schizophrenia by getting them to go back to figure out the source of their problems. And he was ignored. If you've ever seen the movie A Beautiful Mind with uh, um, uh, 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 Russell Crowe, where he sees people, and that's a schizophrenic. We have this belief in our society today that schizophrenia is some biological thing that happens in the brain where the brain causes the mind to see things. And what Carl Jung discovered was that is not the case. It's a mental problem that we are the ones that create that, that alternative in reality whenever our real reality was so uncomfortable that we have to find an alternative reality. And what he does when he works with people is he brings them back to the real world. That's how he gets people. That's how he cures people with schizophrenia. But that has been ignored. He even says in his biography, I could not tell people because they would not believe me. He had to actually hide his discovery that our mental problems are mental. And I am now taking the, the banner that he started and I'm moving that banner forward with the notion that our mental problems are mental, not biological. Does that make sense? Oh, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. Thank you for sharing. A lot of times, and, and I will sort of give, give, it, give this a little bit of gender because it's what I hear, especially from women, is that, that the men in their lives aren't romantic or that right. the romance is dead. Can you go a little bit more into that? As, and why do you think the romance is dead is such a pillar in relationships today great question okay back up a second go back to in 19 in, before the 1960s our divorce rate was single digits and it was single digits because it was clearly defined by the church it was patriarchy the man's in charge the man is responsible for finances the man's responsible for the logical side of the relationship the woman was subordinate the woman was responsible for the emotional side of the relationship. The woman was responsible for the raising of the kids and the environment of the home. Those were clearly defined roles that each did, and they did not, they did not cross lines. Okay, In 1970, less than 1% of all law and medical degrees went to women. By 1990, that number was over half. The change that's taken place that's caused our divorce rate to skyrocket is, and I mean this from a progressive perspective, is the education and employment of women. Women for the first time in the history of human civilization, which goes back thousands of years, are finally for the first time able to go and get employment, and they are now questioning their subordinate role in the relationship. But what that means psychologically, let me get to the point of this discussion. The biggest hole in our marriages today, in our culture of marriage today, the biggest weakness is emotional men, okay? I'm not gay, not that there's anything wrong with it, as Jerry Seinfeld so famously said in one of his episodes, because I, Tim Kellis, have realized that for me to be more of a complete human being and a better partner, I need to also develop an emotional side. And it doesn't make me a weak person to be emotional. But the weakness, the reason why, and what I'm ex explaining here. In fact, this is one of Carl Jung's uh, discussions. In fact, just to summarize, he discusses the irrationality of a man's feeling and a woman's thinking. And what he's saying in that phrase is when there is conflict, we go to the place we are more comfortable. For women, we go to, they go to the emotional place, and for men, they go to the logical place. And the more those conflicts exist, this is where communication breaks down in a marriage. The more those conflicts exist that become unresolved, the more each of them backs off. It's the whole notion of men 
going off into their caves, which started with John Gray and then from Mars, Luna, from Venus. That's where he discusses men going into caves. And by the way, after I'm looking for those caves, I've yet to find them. There are no caves that men go off into, but that is what I'm one of the visions that he introduced, which is helping to split the, the genders to up, which is what that book does. It promotes the separation of the, 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 the guys and the girls. But the point is, is when there's conflicts, men are going to shut down their emotional side. All right, Tim. So I just we I just shared with you Mark Gungor's different brains and how men think and how females think or how women think. And it goes back to what you're saying, how men are very logical and how women are emotional and how if something happens, they'll sear it into their brain forever because when you connect a memory to an emotion, it, it stays with them. And go ahead and go yeah, into but, it. But bear in mind that men are emotional. They just haven't been trained to be emotional about the relationships. Are you a sports guy? Yeah, I like sports What's a little sport? bit. What sport? Well, I like watching sports, but I'm not really into a, a one specific. Football, soccer. I mean, I like watching baseball the most. Okay. Baseball. Okay. So I grew up in St. Louis and if people don't realize that St. Louis is the second best baseball uh, franchise in history. I have a very strong emotional content with baseball. Okay. I remember uh, uh, Bob Gibson and, and, and uh, uh, Joe Torrey. And, and I remember I have an emotional connection with baseball because I grew up with baseball and I have a good memory because it's emotionally connected. If men become more emotionally, this is the point. Men just shut down. And then, and then that's when they start forgetting stuff. One of the most amazing things I do when I work with couples is I get them to go back to the beginning of the relationship when things were great. People forget about that part of their relationship when things aren't going so good. It's and, and, and you know, unless you can connect emotions, you can keep that emotion connected. What the guy in the video is saying is absolutely true. We, we know that there's, there's a, if you want to remember something, tie an emotional connection to a memory. Uh, uh, and, and it's a lot easier versus it's logical. So how much was that computer? Was it 4,895 or 4,985? Who cares? I mean, that, that, there's no emotional connection to the price of a computer, but there's an emotional connection to, to the things that we remember. Exactly. I agree with that. So what you're saying is that one of the keys to a successful marriage is to have the man be more emotional with the exactly. wife? Exactly. The reason why girls have girlfriends is because their guys aren't emotional. So they have to get an emotional outlet somewhere. And so they look to their girlfriends to support that emotional side of them because they don't get it from their spouse. I agree with you. And I think that it's very important that two men are saying the same thing. <laughs> if two you are, heterosexual men, not there's exactly. anything wrong with that. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. right. Exactly. And I'm, I will admit I am connected to my emotions. I'm very clear with my emotions. And I think that is one of the reasons why my marriage to my wife has worked is because right. I show her and I tell her what my emotions are. And so we're on the same level. Tim, there are some tips and tricks that I've learned. And I wanted to see what your input is. Uh, the first one, stereotypical, just go on dates. Go on dates, get to reconnect. Uh, just you, your spouse. What do you think about just going on dates with each other? Well, it's great when you're getting along. But if you go on a date and get into a fight at the date, you're not addressing the issue. That's what I was saying with this, this girl, the counselor's first advice was go on date night. I'm like, is this counselor addressing why you guys aren't getting along? You're, you're not going to get along on a date night. Now you become aware of that and maybe you discuss it at a time. Let's, you know, whatever we're having, whatever conflicts we're having, let's put that on the shelf. Let's just go and enjoy ourselves. But you'll find that that's difficult to do if there's unresolved conflict. But, you know, exactly. I mean, spend time. It's better than not spending any time at all together. It's, it's a good alternative when couples get so into their lives that they completely ignore uh, their spouse. Because you got to keep in mind what I am doing, Hector, at the end of the day, is I'm taking the marriage from, quite honestly, the in most instances, the lowest priority in the relation, in, in the life of the individuals in the marriage, to the number one priority. And when you put your spouse above your job, slightly above your kids, but above your kids, above your friends, above, you know, your spouse, that's the whole king and queen concept. When the husband looks at his wife as the queen and the wife looks at her husband as the king, nobody else is more important than the two with their relationship with each other. 
that is the that is the the vantage point that I'm that I'm shooting for, and that is the vantage point that I'm setting up as the goal in the relationship. During a marriage retreat, the facilitator told us to use the eye gazing exercise in which both spouses look into each other's eyes for a certain amount of time. And it's like a window to your soul and you're connecting. What do you think about that practice? I bet it's a different experience if you're happy with your partner than if you're unhappy with your partner. I bet you're seeing a different thing depending on your state of mind when you're staring in your partner's eyes. That's the point I'm making when these people do these behavioral advice without getting into the psychology of the relationship. It's great if the two of you are getting along, you're looking lovingly in each other's eyes, but you guys just had a fight on the way to the, the retreat. What do you think the other person is thinking as they're looking at you? You bring up a good point and I'll, I'll postulate this to you. They had a fight in the car driving there and they're told to do this eye gazing exercise and they forgive and forget. Right. And what I'm getting from you is, yes, I love them again. The eye gazing exercise worked, but what you're saying is no, the issue it's a was short not. Term. It's a short term. Oh. That's, it's short term. Okay. You'll be fighting on the way home. You, you guys, <laughs> you'll be holding your hands in the, in the, in the retreat. But by the time you get into the car to drive back on the way home, you'll have forgotten the eye gazing and you go back to the argument. Tim, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. I really, really do appreciate it. Any other relevant information that you want to provide to the audience? Well, I mean, if anybody would like to get in touch with me, if they want to discuss any further, it's easy. It's my email address is my name, which is Tim, T-I-M, Kellis, K-E-L-L-I-S, at happy relationships, that is plural, Dot com. Tim Callis at happyrelationships.com. The other good way of connecting with me, I have started on Facebook. I actually started it 10 years ago, but it's just now starting to explode. It's called The Marriage Support Group on Facebook. Uh, a couple of days ago, we just went over 11,000 members. I'm adding between three and 4,000 members a day. I mean, I'm not a month, three to 4,000 members a month to my marriage support group. I am building a community of marriage experts to give good advice and people looking for help to, from those marriage experts. And you'll see that is a big reason why this group has exploded, but it's a great community for anybody to get involved with if they want to get some real anonymous, it's a private group, anonymous help. So those are the two best, best ways. I have a, a free two-hour seminar that anybody reaches out to me, uh, I'll, I'll you know, sit down with you and your spouse and do the seminar with you. But uh, anybody wants to reach out to me, the best way is my email address, which is Tim Kellis at happyrelationships.com. Can you tell us a little bit about your book? Well, what the book does is the book is actually a history lesson. So I use examples throughout history as analogies in the relationship. So for example, I use the two co-founders of Microsoft, Bill Gates and Paul Allen, to discuss two different skill sets, the partnership, the whole thing there. Um, uh, you know, it's, the solution is equality. So I pull from a lot of... Uh, democratic concepts, for lack of a better word, word like common sense, which comes to us from, from democracy. Uh, Martin Luther King, uh, I have a Martin Luther King section right next to a Hitler section, probably the only book I've written that's got those two ne next to each other to describe my prejudice section. The one is obviously from a positive perspective, the other is from an extremely negative perspective. Then I get into the Carl Jung stuff, uh, which 20% of my book is a summary of his autobiography. That's when we get into the real deep stuff. And then I basically conclude with the real deep, deep, deep stuff on why couples should spend the rest of their lives together. It's a journey into the mind of not only the reader, but the partner of the reader as well, which is the goal of the book. What's the, what's the title of the book? The title of the book is Equality. The subtitle is The Quest for the Happy Marriage. But I don't sell the book. The book is part of a, 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 a workshop when I'm working with couples one-on-one when I do the detail with stuff. That's, that's the, the book is my textbook, so to speak, of when I work with couples in detail. Anything else you want to add? Listen, Hector, I, you know, you heard it. I mean, I, I love talking about this stuff. At the end of the day, what I'm doing is I'm putting my foot down. The goal here is to lower the divorce rate, if not eliminate the divorce rate. That is my mission. That is my passion. I'm not going to stop until that happens, until the general public knows that there's finally an outlet that they can turn to for a marriage guidance that finally solves on how they can create a lifelong marriage. So 
again, I can't help tell you how much I appreciate Hector giving me a voice here and an opportunity to describe it. So I, I'm forever thankful and grateful for you for, for the time today for letting me come and join you. This has been the Life Teacher Podcast. With me was Tim Kellis. The title of this episode is The Marriage Solution with Tim Kellis. Tim, again, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Hector. Until next time. Bye.